Let's do it. So here we are with the man himself, Tarek Hopscott. How are we doing, my friend? He's in Hopscott, Hopstock. Here, <laughs> <laughs> good start. Good start. Yeah. what we love to see. How are you doing, my friend? Don't worry. I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I mean, like, there's a lot of people who mess up that name, so it's <laughs> totally normal. <laughs> it's not even that complicated. I just butchered it. But anyway, we're, we're getting there. So we're good. So first and foremost, quite interestingly, I heard another podcast that you were doing a bachelor's degree. How are you getting on with that? Is that finished now? Are you still working through that? Yeah, I just finished it uh, this summer. So I finished my bachelor's degree in uh, physical education. And uh, yeah, now it's uh, pretty much a lot of jujitsu. <laughs> <Very good question. laughs> or at least as much as I can, at least. Well, this is kind of it, though. So, like, with your training with that, then, are you planning on coaching jiu-jitsu as, like, a more official kind of coaching role? Is this a separate thing itself? What's this meant to be? Oh, for sure. Like, like I, I did it because it's interesting. Uh, and for, like, first and foremost, it's something I'm passionate about. Uh, but also, uh, once you have the theory behind how to teach and how to approach uh, uh, students and all of that definitely helped me out uh, when I'm teaching my guys as well. Uh, I mean, it's also a lot of the theory around motivation, what keeps people coming back, what pe- keeps them uh, from coming back from an injury. Uh, so I, I think having that education behind me definitely helped me so far. And uh, the more I probably would go into the role as a teacher and as a instructor, uh, probably even more. So with that kind of stuff, then that's a bit more interesting than I thought. It'd be a bit more about the physical act itself, and is the actual management side of it. So with your own training, yeah. then are you quite? Do you need to know all the details? You're a case of you get in the gym, get told what to do, and that's the end of the question. Like, how do you like to learn as such? Are you very much asking a lot of questions, uh, sort of thing. So uh, depends on the the season, or how should I say? Depends on the periodization. Uh, mm. So. Uh, at this point where there's not a lot of competitions, uh, we don't know what's going to happen around the corner or anything like that. Uh, I try to focus on uh, just getting new, uh, new knowledge, new techniques. Uh, and uh, what helps a lot is coming to the gym, having somebody else to show me different techniques. So I, de- I definitely go to um, my guy here in Bergen, uh, Fivel or uh, Andre Calvaro. A super good black belt. He has a lot of cool stuff from um, like crab ride, back takes, all that sort of stuff. Uh, To be honest, before I I moved here to train with him, I I didn't really put much time into those kind of techniques. So uh, actually learning from a rooster weight really helped me out learning those uh, those fancy, fancy things. <laughs> I mean, this gets quite interesting again, because again, you're mainly trained with um, Eduardo, and again, he's a much bigger guy. You're not used to sort of the, um, <laughs> the Mikey, well, um, I can't spell his name, but you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Musumechi. Musumechi. Yeah. I always butchered these names. It's awful. Don't worry. Don't worry. No, yeah, so yeah, no. definitely like, like Teta has a style for sure. He has a. And, uh, and, uh, how should I say he has a very traditional uh jiu-jitsu style whereas uh Fievel is much more light uh light uh, fighter guy yes <laughs> so throughout your sort of jiu-jitsu sort of journey as such and again you know you sort of develop a game as we always sort of say what how rigid have you been to building a game so say like you work on say your straight ankle lock and the way you're built sort of submissions around that kind of thing 
how much do you get rooted to that? So say you're like at White Belt, for example, you start getting success with it. Like, have you always been, okay, I find something that works and then really stick to it? Have you always been trying new stuff, always trying to, I don't know, expand? I, I, I always try to expand. And, and this is something that I, uh, I get uh, a lot of comments from my, uh, from my uh, teachers or from, from Teta and from, from Fievel there as well. Uh, they want me to be a little bit more loose, a little bit more open to try different things uh, in competitions because I know I, uh, during training, I expand and I do a lot of different things. I do a lot of different submissions. Uh, I have the tendency to kind of go in competitions and do the same thing over and over, uh, mostly because it works uh, a lot of the times, but uh, at the same time, it does get me uh, stuck uh, in certain mindsets at some points where it kind of stops me from tactically uh, winning the fight or uh, getting like some, some sort of advantage on top of the guy. So it's, uh, it's, it's uh, definitely worth expanding in the long run, right? <laughs> I mean, this is where it gets quite interesting, though, because, again, as you're saying, it's working. So it's quite hard to get the reason why you should sort of change and such. Again, you need to. You know you need to. But, again, you get in the medals thinking, mm, do I really, though? This is nice and shiny. I don't really want to get rid of this. <laughs> you start doing yeah. crap like the next sort of matches just trying to make a point. So yeah, yeah. when it came to building these games, then, is it something you just fell into? Or is it a case of this is where, like, Teta's sort of giving you that sort of structure to sort of say, I'll try this. This might work for you. Or how have you sort of found it, such? Definitely just trial and error in one way. And at the same time, you know, I have my preferences that works for my body, that works for my, uh, my long arms and all that, you know, like, like you have, you have what you have and it's what you manage to make out of it. Right. Uh, like in the beginning I would do dar strokes all the time. That was my game. Right. And because I had really long arms, I could actually manage to wrap that my than their arms but um i don't know like like it was just preference and then i i have a tendency to repeat and repeat and repeat the same things and and until they work or at least until they kind of like polish it uh and so uh, of course you will see like there's from those different positions and some of these scenarios tend to repeat themselves again and again and again and then i fall for it until I understand, okay, maybe I here I can switch for something else, or maybe here, and then sometimes I just go and ask uh, my my trainers as well. Uh, what what do you guys think? What can I do from this position when the guy reacts like this, right? And so, uh, definitely having so many resourceful black belts on the mat does help you a lot uh, in improving your game and trying to develop different kind of uh, branches or or how should I say reactions. Now, this is where it gets quite interesting, again, the sort of styles there. So say like Dars, for example, normally you get that from being on top, either top half, top side, or turtles, this kind of thing, mainly from the top again. So then almost you'd have to develop a game around that, almost like a wrestling to then get in these positions, a top heavy sort of passing sort of game. Whereas again, like leg locks sure. and ankle locks, normally you're starting from the bottom. Again, how big are your normal change when it comes to trying new stuff? Like say when it comes to sparring, for example, do you do many specific rounds? Or is there a lot of starting from the feet open, do what you need to do sort of thing? uh so depends uh so i do try to do a lot of specific rounds uh depending on what i'm preparing myself for uh for example when i was preparing myself for uh like a ed uh, invitational with um uh, ebi rules uh 
and so we had to do all the back take escape or the back escapes and all of that right because of the overtime rules but uh but definitely uh what helps me a lot is having uh goals for each training so uh, let's say we're going through the subject of smash passing or we're going through uh like passing from headquarters so uh doesn't necessarily have to be a positional sparring where i'm starting there and it's agreed but i will look for it actively during the the sparring rounds right so it can be free sparring but to force myself to improve and to try new things i have to try to get to this position that i've been working on during that sparring and not just go the same things that I've done before and over and over again, right? So we have a tendency to just fall into the same uh, loop. Uh, so that's what I try to always, um, yeah, do the things that I'm working on and, and basically just learn from doing the mistakes over and over. <laughs> I mean, with that being said then, when you're trying these new techniques out again, sort of areas you're not as comfortable with are you trying them on the black belts again like sort of throwing the deep end sort of trying to the white belt mentality of, okay i'm gonna get smashed but get smashed a bit less so you like get into the blue belts and the purple belts and okay eventually i'm gonna start building up the practice with it like how would you like to sort of deal with that i think i try it with everybody like doesn't matter uh really uh so like even the, the best thing and the, it's really fun is when let's say teta has been showing us a technique that day and then uh, later on the sparring, I will try that very technique that he was showing on him uh, right after, you know, and then you will see him smile. He will like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I've seen this before, you know, and, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's how it should be in one sense, because uh, I, I really try to use the knowledge that I get. And, and that's when I that's when I actually remembered it. And that's when I actually get to use it in uh, competitions later. Now that, that in itself, <laughs> you want that though. You want to make, as soon as you've got the information, try and use it straight away before you forget it sort of thing. Now, when it comes to your learning in itself, again, the initial question at the start was about whether or not it's quite detail orientated, a case of, you know, how you like to learn. But again, when it comes to all the plethora of techniques and concepts, are you very much concept based. Is it a case of, this technique isn't a rigid technique. This is okay. I need to control this hip, this leg, this, that. Do you have your own reference points? Is it a case of, I don't know what sort of, you know what I mean? You sort of take notes sort of person. Do you just drill it out? What's your sort of ways of remembering things? Uh, like I think in the beginning, having uh, filming yourself doing certain techniques does help to remember them uh, if you don't remember like the details. So let's say a, a lot of the times you have a seminar where the guy is showing like 50 different techniques. I might remember two of them, but like the uh, 48 other techniques, I, I'll probably forget, right? And so what I try to do is, uh, let's say right after a seminar, I will ask my friend if, uh, oh, can I just do the techniques on you and I'll film it. And then I can uh, look on it later to just remember all the uh, specifics here and there, you know? Uh, so that's one way to remember the details. Another thing is I feel, of course, when I started Jiu-Jitsu, it was very chopped up. Like I couldn't see the uh, the similarities between uh, arm bar on top or an arm bar on bottom. But as the, long, the longer you go, you kind of see that all of these kind of melt into each other. So 
it starts becoming <laughs> how should I say not not so chopped up but more or less and uh, that's where things get more complex right and uh, yeah it's it's hard to say what works for everybody because I think everybody learns in a different uh, manner and uh, somebody needs to work it physically in others need to visualize uh, and, and so on right oh 100% and again these questions are mainly about you specifically not like for the general person again this is why it's sort of quite interesting because again someone who's been around a variety of different high level competitors some of the best in the world and it's how you can really make the most of that and how you've made the most of it and gone as far as you've gone um when it comes to these sort of i don't know the new techniques as well so say for example back to the dances for example say you're working on that independently then you go to a seminar and it's all i don't know leg locks would you then try and use the leg lock stuff straight away because it's something fresh or would you try and keep your game with that in mind that okay that's another option further down the line yeah, I would definitely try to do it in training. So I would definitely try to do the leg locks if I went to a leg lock seminar just to make the most of it and, and really try to learn it. Uh, and, you know, like there's no better time than when the information is fresh and you uh, just learned how to use it. Um uh, but again, I guess like when they, when all things fail, you might return back to the <laughs> the good old positions and just try the the old stuff again. But this is, again, if it's not broken, don't fix it. <laughs> so just keep dancing from blue belt to black belt. We yeah. are happy days. Um, so when it comes to your competitions, then, so regards of obviously competing at the highest of highest levels again recently in Polaris, that was phenomenal performance as well. And again, it's one of those ones that like, how do you? Thank you, thank you. How do you deal with the sort of nerves in the sense, like the apprehension, the build-up and everything else? Like, do you have a, like a camp as such that like you would for a fight, like an MMA fight? Oh. Uh, so uh, the nerves, I, everybody has nerves. Like it's, it's totally normal. And you, that's what puts you kind of on the edge to perform better. Um, but it's, it's uh, I think it's how to handle it that makes it, different you know like and i've changed my routines from uh, time to time like uh, before i would listen a lot to at uh, competitions where i don't listen to a lot of music uh, anyhow and i'll just uh, focus on visualizing the fight uh, the fight in front of me uh, but i think uh, it's important to to focus on yourself and your performance i think the trap that a lot of people fall into, and I, I've definitely been in that trap as well, uh, is that you focus on what everybody else is thinking and that you don't want to, uh, uh, in front of everyone, you don't want to be, uh, yeah, you don't want to fail one that you feel are, are supporting you and cheering you on, you know? And that's where I think you're overthinking too hard and you should always try to focus on what you can do and how you can do your best uh, during the match. And uh, I guess that helps me out a lot. So when it comes to sort of game planning on that same kind of vein, again, very much about what you're doing, not what they're doing, and again, different ways of filling on the day itself. Do you plan to quite an intricate level of like, hey, I'm going to get this specific grip and go for this specific like takedown, guard pull or whatever? Or is it a case of, okay... I'm going to feel it out and then see how I feel and see what happens. How strict is your game plan as such? It uh, depends on the fighter that I'm fighting. If I know certain things uh, about the fighter that I'm fighting, 
I will definitely be more specific about the the strategy, uh, strategy around it. And of course, depending on the rule set, you will have to know as well whether or not um, how you can get that po first point or get that pressure uh, where he has to work for scoring some points later on, right? And so uh, in, a, like, is in a submission only, I think it's less thinking of the strategical part, but more thinking of what's his weakness and what's, uh, what's going to work, basically. Uh, whereas with the tactical, uh, let's say with IBGF, where there's points and all of that, you have to be more aware of, okay, if there's a double guard pool uh, and he sits up, he, there's an advantage, right? Technically, he can stand there for the rest of the match and then he'll win, right? So you have to be aware of these uh, small uh, things that can lose you the match. And again, a lot of people have been um, <laughs> been in the wrong end of the decision because of advantages and that kind of stuff are that kind of really frustrating. For sure. Oh, I can't go over. It's ridiculous. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but this is where it gets quite interesting. And the reason I asked that as well is because, again, a lot of the what you're saying is about controlling what you can control, sort of stoic kind of way of looking about things. But in the sense of because of the amount of areas of everything, like anything could happen. They could go for a double leg, they could fly in triangles, they could do anything. They can get injured walking on the mat, you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> so yeah. To, to plan to very intricate detail seemed a bit I don't know, it didn't seem appropriate. Now with um I don't know, the the way you process the whole situation from the scale of events, so say your local like down the road open to Polaris on UFC Fight Pass. How do the nerves differ for you? Is it a case of the bigger platform that sort of amplifies or is it a personal thing where you're just normally all right? Does it fluctuate a lot? Is there much in it? Uh, definitely having uh, like a big, uh, how should I say? Um, like audience. if there's a lot of people watching, audience, yeah, thank you. <laughs> right. If there's a big audience uh, there, uh, definitely puts some pressure, you know, and there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of screaming, especially at Worlds, uh, IBGF, it's, there's, uh, there's a lot of pressure coming there, but I think what phases me the most is probably the fighter. Like if I'm, if I'm meeting uh, a guy I know and I respect, and I know he's, he's very, really skilled opponent, uh, probably that's what puts most pressure on top of me. Um, I, I've kind of like learned to, to push away all the, 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 the outside noise and try to just focus on what's happening on the mat. But again, at the same time, you, you can't focus too much on what the guy in front of you has done earlier and uh, just try to do your best there and not to get, uh, how should I say? Yeah. Fear. Like you, you can't be shocked by the fear of your opponent or like, uh, yeah even though he's a big name and all of that. Now, this is kind of a big point I wanted to get into, because again, when you're fighting the highest of high level, everyone's got all these medals and all these competitions and beating so-and-so. So again, you've got this air of, they are this big, scary monster who's going to try and submit me. Again, do you give them the, <laughs> the approach of, okay, I'm going to ignore you and just treat you as someone else? Am I going to try and, not disrespect, but not respect them, thinking, okay, I'm going to beat you. I'm here to beat you. You're not this big, scary thing. You're just, you know, someone I'm going to submit. Like how, what's your kind you of know, like, to with that? Yeah, like usually I, I like something I tell myself, I guess, is uh, especially in the weight division, <laughs> you're just as much uh, blood and flesh as I am. 
so why shouldn't I have the chance, basically? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, in a way, just to put it very simple. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't see the, you see the skill, you see the jiu-jitsu behind it. And then you try to just look at it that way as a problem, as a problem you have to solve more than a person that's, uh, that's famous or whatever, right? I, I think um, definitely, <laughs> definitely like when you go in the open weight, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a different vibe because uh, it's more like I have nothing to lose when I go there. You know, it's, it's bigger guys, you know, I don't, I like if they tap me out, I, I don't feel as bad. I don't know. So there in, in some way, uh, when I go out fighting in the open weight, it's like, uh, yeah, basically I have nothing to lose so I can go full out no matter what. <laughs> now, how does your performance vary in that opposed to your own weight then? Cause again, are you being more relaxed? Are you being more complacent? Are you being more fluid? And when you're more tense, you're more efficient and more like convicted when you're doing things what, what do you find the difference in the performances i feel in the weight division i have a tendency to tunnel vision more and to focus even more on being uh, strategical and tactical whereas i feel in the absolute division you know like i will risk more to get more in a sense uh which is kind of strange because it's not always something you can control. It's sometimes your, your, uh, your mind does some strange things, but uh, it's definitely something that I've thought of. Uh, and I've always said to myself, like maybe I should try to compete in my weight division, the way I compete in the open weight division. So, <laughs> I mean, that's always an interesting concept in itself. Again, being that kind of reserve, trying to think smart and trying to think like really thought out versus, okay, I just want to fight. I just want to go out. I want to do it. And then you see what happens. You had it in the UFC with them, Jorge Masvidal. He used to always get to decisions and end up being the wrong side of it. Whereas now he's like, you know, what? I don't care. <laughs> Live or die by the sword. And here we are. There's an interesting sort sure. of transition with that as to how, I don't know, again, more room for mistakes and more room for success, you know, sort of all comes back around this sort of big Venn diagram of performance and everything else. And you touched on briefly a minute ago about sort of visualization. Now, what does your visualization look like in the sense of, do you do it before training? Do you do it before competition on the day itself? Is it quite detailed? What does your visualization normally look like to you and your training as such? Uh, the visualization, like like uh, during training before a competition, it's basically just remembering how the arena looks like, uh, kind of like getting used to what it's going to be going in there, uh, again, with the audience and all of that. But um, before the match, I visualize basically the first three things that I want to do. Get a grip, pull guard, you know, get underneath. And it uh, doesn't have to be more than that or more complex, but it's, it's just being there, being ready. And uh, once you've kind of repeated in your brain for, let's say, a couple of times, it seems more natural to just step out and do it straight away. Whereas I remember my first competitions as an orange belt, I remember I would, yeah, I would be kind of like almost like a, a, a feeling like an outer body feeling where I wasn't really there. You were just looking at your, you're thinking, why did I put myself in this situation? And so I think having that repetition in your brain, 
before the match, you're kind of like preparing yourself to do exact things straight away. <laughs> and this is where it gets quite interesting as well. I mean, the, the out-of-body experience is a perfect way of explaining it because, again, that sort of weird adrenaline, you don't really know what's happening, and then it's all happened so fast, you're like, where the fuck am I? <laughs> Whereas if you're thinking uh, in advance, you're a bit more okay. I can imagine the feel of the gear. I can imagine the feel of the lapel. I can, you know, imagine the smell of the, the horrible arena, of sweat and tension, you know, that sort of environment. <laughs> but no, it's, it's good sure, having that sure. level of um, detail in itself. Now, how are you with being, I don't know, composed under pressure in the actual competition itself? Because again, always being used under pressure, but when it comes to a competition, it really matters. How are you with, okay, I'm relaxed, but I need to get the fuck out of these bad positions. Like, how are you with, I don't know, the pressure on the day itself in the event. Are you sort of autopilot? Is it a very conscious thing? How would you like to process these sorts of situations? So uh, I think there's uh, a fine balance where I try to be, I try to focus on the positivity and the positivity around competing. Uh, and, and that's what kind of brings me back all the time. Like if if I was fighting with negative emotions, like let's say angry or, or uh, as I said, all of that, you know, I don't think I would like to compete as much as I do right now. Uh, and so I always try to focus on, uh, on being um, more of the positive uh, side, focusing on the good memories, the good sides, having the team there uh, always supporting. Uh, but at the same time, you do have to have that, I should say the devil inside you that really kicks in in the last moment where, Hey, you know, I'm not going to let him get away with this or, you know, like a little bit of that, you know, and, and uh, definitely uh, when you're under pressure or you're losing by points and you know, this is, this is it. This is when you have to do something. Uh, you have to bite, like you, you gear up a little bit. And I think if you're, if you're too kind, you know, sometimes it's going to be harder but it's it's uh, a little bit of both is always good for sure and this is where it gets quite interesting it's interesting the way you sort of phrase that as well because again it is fun it is a big community it's everything else but again you're not there just to have a nice time you're there to win and that sort of weird sort of <laughs> line in itself like how do you find that in training again you're sort of you're with your friends you're with people your family you're training with you've grown up with this that and the other but you're training to win competitions you're there to win these fights like how do you switch up as such? Are your, most of your rounds quite, you know, a nice sort of pace where you're enjoying it? Or do you sort of always have that certain rounds where you're switching on to try and kill? Or what's your kind of split with that? For sure. Like, like uh, weeks before the competition, we definitely have harder sparring sessions. Uh, of course, not as often. And I will just do those sparring sessions once a day. Like, like if we have two sessions, the first session is not going to be uh, in more of a hey sweep and pass or uh, um, pass and back take or something like that like a sequence kind of drill where you're just repeating repeating whereas more intense session would be um, more uh, hard sparring of course depending on the rules I would have to be a little bit more strategical uh, with the points as well while we're sparring and of course specifically try, try to uh, change the time so that it fits the time that you're going to fight. Um, know the the space, the mat area around you. Um, all of these things kind of matter, especially when you go there to the competition, uh, because those are the small things that are going to change whether you win or you lose, uh, and as, especially at the top level. And so 
uh, of course, there's a kill intensity, and that's why we have a competition class. Uh, the intermediate or the beginner's class, you're not going to, as a competitor, I'm not going to go with that mode and that intensity to those classes, you know? So that's why we have certain classes focused on uh, for our athletes or for the people that want to compete. And that's why it's really important to have that sort of divide because again, you don't want the beginning white belt saying, okay, I'm quite scared and there's this brown belt ready to kill me. He's just going to rip my ankle off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> 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 sort of but again, it's interesting that. And like, when it comes to competition class in itself, obviously without disclosing too many trade secrets, what do your sessions tend to look like? Are they very positional orientated? Are they scenario orientated? Are they... I don't know, do you get like a, a faux audience and a score and a ref kind of thing to make it like, okay, this is basically the competition. Now we're going to try and do it like this. How specific? I don't know. What would you like to do with your comp classes in that sense? In the comp classes, I, I uh, like right now, I train a lot with uh, with Teta and Fivo and um, some of the black belts uh, I got to train with earlier before the pandemic. Uh, but it's, uh, how should I say it? It's doesn't have to be that specific that you have a referee or anything like that. You just have to kind of be aware of the points and aware of the mat area for my case, you know, like um, something that I like to work on a little bit is for example, let's say uh, you know how the referees give you two points. If you have a submission, you roll out of the mat. Okay. No, so, I wasn't aware of that actually. Okay, so say you have an arm bar and you roll out of the mat. So he, He'll get two points, and then you start right. Now, uh, say for instance, a situation where you have a rare choke, and the guy is almost rolling out of the mats. And the thing is, do you want the submission to get the two points, or do you want to establish the hooks and then get four points for uh, the back take? So in that scenario, for example, where you cross the line out of the mat, you would want to change from a uh, rear naked choke to, for example, a seatbelt position where it looks like you've established a position and then he's going to reset you in the mat with the back take so you can get your four points again, you know, instead of having just two points and having to reset from top. And then you have a chance to even go for the rear naked choke. So the rules do create some uh, complexities uh, to how you're going to attack or how you're going to change your approach when you fight. Um, same thing with, uh, let's say, I know I'm going to lose uh, this position, so I want to go for a toehold just to make him roll out of the bounce. And then if I can get two points, perfect. And then we research st uh, standing and I can start by guarding, uh, pulling guard when I'm leading. Uh, and I can kind of like play guard from there and have a good uh, position. So it's it's uh, a lot of the the tactics. Uh, it's probably the hardest one to to teach people and the hardest one to learn. But once you start to uh, grasp the concept, it's definitely going to help you a lot with your fights. And again, it goes back to sort of specific training, really, doesn't it? Again, that same sort of mindset. Okay, we're not just rolling for for fun as such we're trying to keep this very specific to our competition and again you're sort of being very strategic with your decision making and now exactly on that note actually we've had an interesting question from instagram and it's basically how would you feel the ibgf and your game in general will change with the new hill hooks being allowed at next year's um nogis i i think it's going to be pretty cool to be honest like mm. uh 
like honestly i've never had like super much success with helix uh i've always been to straight ankle locks but that's because basically it's been the easiest to uh, adapt with the rules and all of that right so you know even against heel hookers i will do straight ankle locks so i i'm, I'm I maybe strange that way but but uh it's been working quite well for me uh but definitely having uh having the heel hook rules um now being implemented into the the nogi much more time uh in those positions and try to learn them uh more thorough and so uh, of course i have done a lot of heel hook defense but i've never really tried to uh, grasp the concept of how to switch between the inside, the outside, you know, all of those uh, different variations. And of course, uh, to kind of like sprinkle on top of my already uh, like leg lock game that I have. So I think uh, definitely it's going to be something positive to my uh, style of jujitsu. Well, this is where I thought it'd be quite interesting because again, having a primarily like straight ankle lock game, again, very much suited for IBJF. And as that sort of evolves as such, would almost, almost invite the most like transition quite naturally. But again, if you're getting a lot of success, even against heel hookers in heel hook available comms, again, well, <laughs> don't fix what isn't broken again. It's quite an interesting one. <laughs> now, heel hook, this is a question in itself. So heel hooks in the gym. What is your rule with that? Because again, it's always a bit of a, a taboo subject in some gyms. No, like depends on the on the class, of course. Like I, I'm not gonna show heel hooks to the beginners. Uh, I'm not gonna uh, like, class. yeah, you know, like like not the kids' class, not there. You know, like I, I don't see it having any 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 uh, reason to be thought how because one, nobody knows how to defend it, and two, uh, like there's a huge chance for injury when the people are likely to defend it the wrong way or, you know, twist in or how it is. So I think uh, the way I do it, I, from the intermediate classes at Nogi, I teach the heel hooks, I teach knee bars, I teach all of those. But of course, at that point, people know uh, their limits and they uh, respect them. So it's, it's a totally different environment to, to show the, how should I say, the most dangerous techniques or, you know, like, like I think, the consequences of or the damage that potentially can happen through uh, certain techniques are worse because let's face it like a choke is only going to make you unconscious for like 10 seconds uh an arm bar might pop your arm a little bit but usually the that one heals up pretty fast but i mean knees and uh, shoulders also is a little bit tricky but works well but knees usually is uh, a terrible way to go and it all it's it's the end of a lot of careers to say the least you know no uh sorry, sorry you finished, on. so so i think for, uh, for uh, to if you want to keep a healthy amount of uh members and you uh yeah i think it's good to wait with uh, with these techniques until like uh, a certain point so with that being said, then again, when it comes to the competition class, I know you said about knowing your limits and sort of respecting that. Again, if you're pushing the pace, pushing the intensity, again, and the heel hooks allowed in certain competitions, how are you, what's your general rule of thumb with applying them in training? Because again, if you get a bite and you've got it dead to rise, are you going to give them a chance to escape? Are you going to say, okay, I've got you. This is, you know, how it is. What's your sort of a bit of a... Oh, yeah, for sure. Like there, there comes a point where even I know that 
this uh, this is going to hurt the other guy and so you're not going to push all the way through you're just going to look at the guy like okay are you going to tap or what's up you know <laughs> and then uh, I, I, in one sense i also do this in competition uh with certain submissions i'll i'll give the guy a chance to tap but i mean because it's fair play you don't want to i don't feel the the need to crank something before a chance to tap of course when that little time frame of one to two seconds is over it's a totally different thing and uh yeah you just go on uh, but in training, it's totally different because, uh, I mean, especially now with the, the with the pandemic, you learn to really value those few uh, members that or those few training partners that you have. So uh, you you kind of want to keep them <laughs> around. So for sure, like there's no reason to to uh, to set it up or to finish it all the way. And sometimes I feel it's better to set it up, have it typed, and then he'll get the time to kind of try to learn to escape and try to move around from the position uh, and learn how to defend and to uh, control. So it's, uh, it depends. <laughs> but this is kind of, a, I'm asking, I'm intentionally asking you a lot of um, complex questions, but it's almost like a yes, no answer. So you have to say it depends and then make it a bit more personal. This, that, and the other. But again, it's a yeah, very yeah. big spectrum. It's like sort of catch and release kind of thing. Okay. I've got the bite. But okay, now you can think, do I want to pummel in? Do I want to roll? Do I want to get the sort of pressure there? And you can sort of play around with stuff. And it is interesting. Yeah. And again, I, I kind of like the sort of compassion in your voice. Yeah, I'll give him a chance to tap, but I'm kind of thinking, do you know what? Let's just take the arm home with me. That's mine. It's going to my medals. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, like I, I think, uh, you know, fair play is a thing in, in, uh, in jiu-jitsu, you know? And, and that's a cool thing about, let's say, now the squads event in Polaris, uh, there were so many cool uh, athletes there. You know, I, I have a huge respect for uh, Daryl Connell. I have a huge respect for uh, Bradley there. And, you know, when, when these are the guys you face on the mat, you know, you, you know there's going to be a war. But at the same time, afterwards, you're, it, we're friends. We're talking. We're hanging out. It's all good. And so... Uh, you know, there's there's no reason to be a douche uh, during a match, at least not in my view. Oh, I like that little end or caveat. It gets interesting though, because again, when you're with these high level guys, obviously competing, you can't help but feel but learn stuff from them. Do you do a lot of stuff with them outside of like the event itself? Because again, for example, um, is Matej Sinski a heavy like footlocker as well, like triangle lock. I mean. If any guys are going to get along with He's you guys, awesome. I was going to say, if anyone's going to get on with you two, like, did you guys talk a lot regards to like techniques and sharing that kind of stuff? Or would you sort of do your own thing and see how it all played out? Yeah. So we didn't have much time because we, we were there for a weekend, basically. But we went to a gym to train a little bit. And then we got to train uh, with the team, uh, our team Europe. So that was uh, that was pretty cool because we got to share a little bit on – what our techniques are and what we like to do. And like with Mateus, uh, I, I got to roll a little bit with him and I, man, he has some slick setups. Uh, and so uh, uh, kind of like cool to know what his, like what his game is, because then we could maybe toss him in to certain uh, fights where we know he has an advantage to uh, a certain style or a certain fighter. And so, uh, of course, it's always cool to to learn from people once you're there. You know, 
know, like, of course, it's not something you're going to use at the competition the day after, but it's definitely uh, something you take with you. And, and uh, you know, these friendships, they're, they're not, not just for the weekend, you know, at some point I probably will visit uh, Polar. No, I mean, I will probably <laughs> visit uh, Poland yeah, and, uh, and visit Mateus there because, I mean, uh, after rolling with him, you get kind of like a sense of how much oh, potential learn, you know. I mean, this is kind of it as well. And again, Ash Williams went over to train with Camille Wilk like after Polaris as well. So it's not like, you know, kind of get along and all play nice. It's good that yeah. you guys can sort of take this kind of thing. In. And again, when you get to the higher of higher levels, how do you find it still being coachable? Because again, when you're used to, okay, I'm now believing my own hyper search, I'm getting the success, I'm landing things more like high percentages. How are you still able to go in the gym with that same kind of open mindset? Like, How natural is that to you to still be like, okay, if I was told everything I'm doing now is almost completely wrong and needs changing, how willing are you to sort of say, okay, let's find out why? You see what I mean? Well, for sure. Like, like jujitsu does have its humbling experiences, you know, like you could have the best day uh, getting all the submissions, but then you come to the final and then you just get smashed and, and choked, you know? And so, uh, when, of course, like once you know that there's always there's always something better to strive for, there, you can always be better. You can always work at something. Uh, once you have that kind of mentality, I feel, uh, especially I have like Eduardo Rios. He's had how many years? I mean, like he's been black belt for maybe forty years now. No, sorry, twenty twenty years. Sorry, <laughs> he's not that old. Oh. <laughs> uh, so uh, I mean, like, like uh, the thing is, he he will always give me pointers and directions to work on. You know, it, like before, it was probably more uh, very correcting, like certain specific details of techniques and stuff like that. But now it's more of a. Uh, what should I go for? Uh, certain situations, certain tactical situations uh he has a lot of different perspectives there and you know like uh, there's a lot of stuff like there's a lot of certain techniques or areas of techniques that i don't really feel like i've mastered or not really like put enough time uh into it and that's where kind of like it's very good to have someone who has such a long and and uh and uh i mean crazy career through jujitsu and and so it's uh it's always, how should I say, there's always something you could learn from uh, your coaches. So it, it never, it never get to, gets to my head whether or not I win. Uh, in a sense, there's always something more I can improve on. That's definitely important. Again, that's what's going to keep you progressing as well because you get the people who get sort of stagnant thinking, okay, my one game I've been doing, it seems to get me my blue belt, like, you know, gold medals at the local tournaments. I'm going to be a world champion with this alone. I don't need anyone else's help. And you sort of think, mm, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what we see. Um, we've got some questions from Instagram. So obviously the leg lock 2021 stuff we're talking about is fine. What is your least favorite thing about being a pro jiu-jitsu athlete? Least favorite... Um... Right now, not having any competitions. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think there could be better. Um, it could be a better market for sponsors. Like there could be 
uh, how should I say, there should be more focus on a clean uh, sport. Uh, I think there's a lot of brands that support uh, perhaps like fighters who have caught, gotten caught by uh, or for drug tests and all that, you know, and I feel like what could be better is the support that the sponsors these fighters and uh, how us as consumers don't really care and therefore there's no really consequence for actually getting caught uh, for not being clean so I think uh, there should be some revolution there at some point uh, that would be really cool and uh, uh, least favorite thing man I don't know Great like I, 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 I really like jiu-jitsu like, like uh, for different reasons and uh, different times give me different motivations for for why why I like it. To be honest, it can be seminars, it can be all that. But sometimes you'll get really tired of, uh, let's say, competitions. But then you will always have that have have that break where there's not a lot of competitions and you're just doing it for, it for the fun of it. In a sense, and that's the beautiful thing about it as well. And one thing you've said quite a few times throughout this again, the sort of motivation of coming back, those kind of aspects. Like, what do you feel brings you back all the time and keeps you training so consistently? It's it's the the feeling of learning and the feeling of actually uh, like taking in uh, different techniques. And of course, I mean, like the environment is such an important thing. And having having people to joke around with, having uh, you know, like could be the good music, could be the Friday open mat, you know, like like hanging with people, hanging people after uh, the training, all of that has a big influence on uh, the motivation to keep coming. Uh, but uh, I've always been more focused on my own progress than my results. In one sense, like uh, if you ask anybody, like I've had so many silver medals i've had so many bronze medals like i never really reached the top at a lot of uh, the big competitions but i always medaled uh second or third you know and uh and so i get that question a lot what keeps you motivated and you know like as long as i've given it my best as long as i i go off the mat and i know that i gave it uh, my all i i feel like that that's it that's good that's uh, that's perfect i will be better next time you know and and uh, you can't help but respect that the guys that are stepping on the mat there as well want the same thing as bad as you want it, you know? And so uh, if you keep always thinking like, ah, oh, like the, uh, the results is the only thing that motivates me. And uh, if I don't get that gold medal, what am I, you know? Uh, I don't think that's going to keep you into the sport for a long time. So I think the best is to always find uh, that inner, uh, how should I say, motivation that's not really anything materialized or anything that can be taken away from you. I like that a lot. And again, it's that sort of higher meaning behind it. Not so much in like a, like a pious kind of religious sense, but more in the sense of, okay, it's more than just the thing itself. It's the principles behind it. And you'll see a lot of times, you'll see people who either get either either a winner or a loss was a bit underwhelming, think they didn't really perform and just feel a bit lackluster. Whereas if they've had an absolute war for the whole match and come up short, you don't really care that much. You've had your performance. You've sort of put it on the line thinking, you know what? This, exactly. this That was me. This is how I feel. This is me. Whereas if it doesn't quite represent you, as long as you're giving your full account of yourself, hey, I like that a lot. 
Um, who is the best Norwegian grappler? Gi and Nogi. I don't know if that's collected for both, but either or, why not? Oh, Gi and Nogi. Wow. Uh, well, that's rough because, I mean, like, we, Tommy and Tommy Langerker and Espen, definitely, like, two of the best Gi players at the moment in Norway. Uh, Tommy used to do some Nogi for a while but I think now he's really like just focusing on the gi and he doesn't want to he doesn't want to uh, like do both he wants to specialize uh, for the gi uh, which, which I respect in a big way because I mean it's really hard to do both at this point uh, because both the the branches of the sport has like advanced at this point that it's two totally separate things and so uh, I don't know like, yeah, like, uh, I, I feel like I'm somewhere there, but, uh, but yeah, these, uh, these two guys are definitely above me there in the game. <laughs> again, it's just a very ambiguous question as to say the overall result is one way of measuring it. But again, if someone's got a very like in-depth spider guard and gets a lot of success with that and very knowledgeable, who's to say they're any better or worse than someone who's getting medals with the more less cognitive game and not less technical or whatever else again it becomes a whole spectrum of what is better what is worse it becomes a whole thing but well, yeah for sure like like the fun thing there is you have uh you have a very complex fighter is espen matisse he's uh he's uh how should i say he's always uh analyzing and and uh uh perception cognition all of that he's he's very very uh analytical of himself Whereas you have uh, Tommy, which is, more, I, I, I'll just say Viking. He's more of a do-it kind of guy uh, where, like, if you ask him about a fight, he'll say, uh, like, I, I'll ask him, for example, how did you get to his back? Like, what did you do? Like, do you remember? He'll be like, no, I just blacked out and suddenly I was on his back, you know? <laughs> he has it. a, yeah, you know, like, he, his body is, he has, how should I say, he's just merged with jiu-jitsu in a sense, right? So it's very impulsive. It's very instinctive for him to do certain things. Whereas uh, for some of us, we have to kind of be more cognitive, aware, and more uh, like thinking about certain reactions before we actually do them. So it's kind of strange. <laughs> I mean, each their own. I mean, I'd love that luxury, but here we go. <laughs> Advice for somebody a few years into BJJ, starting to grasp the game, but still new. Advice. Okay. I mean, it depends on what your goal is, to be honest. Like, you know how everybody asks, how can I be better at BJJ? And then the usual answer is uh, train more. And to some degree, it's not wrong. And to some degree, it's not right either. Because I think when you go to train, if you want to train to have fun, you're going to go there. You're going to talk with your friends. You're going to be like talking while you're drilling with your partner. Uh, you're going to talk about how you ate a burger on that weekend before, or there's going to be so many other things there, right? Because that's your time off uh, your family or time off your work and all that. Right. And, and there's nothing wrong with, with having that kind of social aspect to it. 
but I think if if you're focusing on becoming better at jiu-jitsu, you always have to kind of know what you're looking for during that uh, specific training. Like um, it could be a certain technique, it could be a certain mindset, it could be something that I want to improve on here and there. Um, and and like having one specific goal for for a training will help you kind of to to see yourself progressing and to understand uh, that you're going little by little in the right direction. And so I think, uh, of course, you're going to get better by coming there day, day out and day in by just meeting up. But at the same time, if you have a very uh, thought out approach to it, I think you get a lot more from it and you will be more focused. And so, yeah, but again, it's probably not the right way for everybody. Right. <laughs> oh, 100%. And this is interesting. Similar to what um, Ash Williams was saying. Because again, like when you go to school, you don't get the ages from going. You have to go there as a minimum. And then afterwards, it's what you do once you're there. So it's interesting, that kind of approach. That, okay, if you're going for the social, and that's fine, that's what you want to do. But if you're doing the social, you're also not doing the training to the same kind of intensity, same kind of focus. So again, expecting results from stuff you're not doing is a bit of, a, <laughs> a bit of an interesting one. But yeah, very sort of goal-specific, very sort of I don't know, intentional with what you're doing. And also I've got, Tata is a great professor. Train with him on a trip to Oslo. Please explain a little about his teaching. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, the thing about Tata is he, he, his knowledge is like endless to certain, like it's, it's funny because, you know, like you think you did something, fancy or something new or something cool he'll just like hey man i did this back in the day you know in brazil you know <laughs> no but but uh, he always has uh he has a very wide knowledge where he will always give you certain specific elements and ideas and and something to help you develop your game and and i think that what separates is, is that he he sees your strengths, he sees your weaknesses, and then he tries to develop you uh, to be a, the best athlete you can be with the preferences that you have, have and the, the body pro, um, proportions that you have, of course, as well. And so uh, I feel like if I go to other gyms, of course, you'll find that if the gym owner has a certain style, most likely his students will be uh, similar, right? And whereas if you come to the headquarters in Oslo, you'll find there's a lot of different styles, a lot of different uh, like games that people play, you know? Like I've never seen Teta play Spider Guard that much, but there's, there's a couple of guys there that play Spider Guard a lot. And of course he teaches it, uh, very well and it's so it's so interesting that he has that broad perspective where he can he can help people uh, different game styles than himself in a way now with that in itself um, like where's he is he training a lot externally still is this stuff he's already accrued is it a constant kind of trying to go to different places and get all this new knowledge in because this gets quite interesting again we've already built up his library of his knowledge and practicing with people that come in the door. Is he going out and getting more knowledge as well whilst it's all going on? I mean, he's active as a competitor as well, you know? So mm. I think he, he definitely does 
you know, he does follow the new trends. He does uh, watch a lot of matches. I mean, like sometimes you'll, if I came over to his house in the morning, I'll find him watching old matches. I'll find him watching new matches. Sorry. And, and I think like uh, having this kind of like perspective where you're never, you're never done learning it does keep you always on the ball, you know, and, and I think that's, that's especially because Jiu-Jitsu is such a young sport. There's so much more to discover. There's so much more to come. I think uh, having that kind of mindset where, uh, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch these new fighters. I'm going to watch these purple belts, these brown belts, you know, like that, that's kind of his, his approach there. He doesn't, he doesn't exclude the brown belts or the purple belts or the blue belts. He watches pretty much everything if he can, you know. Of course, there's limited time. He has two kids and all of that. But he he does kind of like do the, um, yeah, the the analytical or he, he watches a lot of these fights. And then, uh, you know, after so many years of experience, it doesn't take much more for him to kind of see and recognize certain patterns and certain uh, techniques that work the, in these different matches. And then that's what, again, he applies a lot in his, uh, his teaching and so on. Right. So with that all in itself and being very analytical, being very sort of, I don't know, ear to the ground with what's going on in the game, keeping up to date with what's going on to an extent as best he can. What's it like with you when it comes to competitions and like the build up, the day itself? Is it very much in your ear about, okay, you need to be sure, focus on this? Or is it correcting mistakes? Is it, I don't know, he's trying to calm you down, keep you from overtraining? Is it, what's his usual input when it comes to your preparation? Uh, for sure. When we're rolling, he will tell me, like, okay, make sure that you, like, you feel like you have two, three rounds left inside you, before, uh, like three days or four days before or something like that like make sure that overdoing it or not doing too much or, or this and that, you know, and then we might go through uh, like, because we were fighting, we know uh, w- what their games are. And then he'll tell me like, um, I think this is perhaps the most likely scenario that can, that they can catch you out on something. And then he'll show me that. And I will go through it a couple of times just to know like, okay, happens i should react like this and this and that uh definitely helps out a lot and then like the cool thing is as close the closer we come to the competition we we just try to enjoy it you know like like he'll be he's the guy who kind of told me since the blue belt like go there have fun uh you know kill them but you know have have a have a good time doing it in a way and so um yeah, definitely. He was a big part of uh, making me look at competition more positively and having that positive mindset towards it. I mean, that's so important because, again, when it comes to all this training, everything put in, and the event itself can seem quite scary, quite daunting. But it's so important to be present and actually enjoy it. Because, like you were saying about your comparison between your absolute versus your weight, like sort of uh, categories, the way you're sort of describing and the sort of your being quite tunnel vision you're being quite serious then absolutely it's like ah, oh, nothing to lose let's have some fun and then you start doing more the more tarot game than it is the more sort of you know the competitor sort of game a bit more pure it's good, it's good to have that kind of that balance with that and that kind of involvement and that kind of support in itself and now my friend 
most important question of the podcast actually two first one is post-competition what is your food do you go junk food do you go heavy do you get burgers <laughs> what, what, what's the most important question uh, so so after after the at the squad polaris we were at uh, five guys uh oh man i I've, I've been to five guys a couple of times but you know like certain land countries you don't have uh five guys so then we'll find it um I've been to some churrasquerias, like uh, Brazilian barbecues. That's pretty awesome, too, after the competitions. Uh, man, like, it, when I'm in the UK, the pleasure, I buy Jaffa cakes. So uh, that's my thing there. <laughs> but uh, if I'm in, let's say, Sweden, I'll buy, like, Swedish, uh, my favorite Swedish candy and uh, stuff like that and you know like like it depends on the place where i am basically doesn't it's not the same thing everywhere the energy in that response you were so happy i love it it's fantastic and now the actual most important question of the podcast social media where can people find you my friend oh yeah they can find me at Tarek uh, underscore bjj on instagram and uh Tarek Hopsuck on facebook as well uh i do have a website uh tarikbjj.com uh, and uh yeah i post weekly videos uh with techniques on my youtube channel as well so make sure to check that out and uh yeah shout out to all my sponsors um for making this possible and uh yeah hope to see you there <laughs> thank you for your time my friend